What if one moment changed everything in your life? And what if that moment were due to the colorblind myth? Well, Afia Ofori Mensa spoke about this at Imagine Talks 2021. Afia has recently joined the office of the Dean of the College at Princeton University as the inaugural director of the Presidential Scholars Program. The PSP, as they call it, is a three-year PhD resource and readiness program for undergraduates from underrepresented and underserved populations in all fields and disciplines of academia. But before Afia joined Princeton University, she overcame years of pain and suffering. But she overcame this, and she recently shared her experience at Imagine Talks 2021. So here with the encore playback of Afia's talk is Imagine Talks podcast. Welcome. Hello, Afia. How are you doing? I'm great, Francis. How are you? Doing really well. Great to see you again. And thank you for coming and joining us on 2021 Imagine Talks. I'm so excited to be here. We're super happy to have you. And even though it was virtual with you today, I plan to learn a lot about some of your life stories. So, but before we jump into it, can you tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, and what do you do? Sure. My name is Afia Oforimensa. I am... Um, I've spent some time working as a staff member and most recently a judge of Miss Asian America, Miss Asian Global Pageant. Um, but in my, in my day job, I work at Princeton University where I design programming for students who are, especially students who are first generation college students, low income students, students of color, um, to help them to really get a hold on what their values are uh, what their interests are, what their desires are for, for whom they want to be in the future and what kind of impact they want to have on the world. And then to give them the resources, um, the, the skill building, the, the networking, the opportunities to be able to connect that kind of center of their values and interests and, and desires for impact with, uh, with how they shape their future after college. Okay, well, that is a huge responsibility. Uh, and also a really, really powerful mission to help impact you know, a young person's life like that. So that, right? so that really begs me to ask the next question is, were there any life events that happened to you that really helped you focus and gravitate uh, in that direction that you wanted to make that kind of impact in other people's lives? There are so many. Um, I think the, the one incident that, that I always think of the most is that in 2012, I was hit by a car mm. while I was across the street. Uh, one afternoon, it was a, a sunny and beautiful afternoon, and I went to walk across the street to, um, to pay my cable bill. And, and so I was about three quarters of the way across the street and saw a car coming toward me from my right, and I was in a crosswalk. And so I thought, you know, I just need to walk across confidently, and the car will stop. Um, and that's what I had always done up until that point for years and years and years. He drove into me. I remember seeing um, the man who had driven his car into me through the windshield. 
I remember pausing there. I remember asking him, what the hell? But, but in slow motion and, and almost silently through the windshield, I, I don't even know if he could have heard me. There was a gentleman on the, on the sidewalk who said, you need to call the police. And I thought, oh no, you know, no, it's not a big deal. I'm, I'm still standing. I hadn't even fallen down. Um, I had like was braced against the hood of, of the car. And, um, and this gentleman on the sidewalk said, no, you need to call the police. And so we went into the cable co-op and we called the police and the fire truck came and the police came, and the ambulance came and they asked me that I want an ambulance ride to the emergency room. And I thought, oh, that's going to be a copay. I'm going to, you know, I started thinking about that. And so um, I told them that my ankle was hurting and the paramedics gave me a, um, an ice pack. And I sat there in the cable co-op and I, I uh, gave a statement to the, to the police officer with an ice pack on my ankle. And I remember him interviewing the man who had driven into me. And the police officer asked, how, how quickly were you going? And the man said, oh, I don't know, 30 miles an hour? And the police officer said, are you sure? And the man said, well, what's the speed limit here? And the police officer said, 25. And the man said, so maybe 27? And then the police officer said, 25. And he wrote it down that way. Okay. And I remember talking to them have a conversation about, you know, the police officer said, oh, what's your name? And, and he looked at his name, he said, oh, that's a German name, I'm, I'm German too. And they were having this, this moment of rapport standing over me as I was sitting there with my ankle in an ice pack. And, and, um, and the police officer ultimately said to the man who had driven into me, he said, you know, uh, you really did the right thing by stopping and not just driving away. And so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you a ticket. You did the right thing here. Hmm. Um, and gestured over toward me with the ice pack on my ankle. And he said, nobody was hurt. It's okay, nobody was hurt. You know, this was, it was 2012. And so it was, it was before the real kind of um, development of, of what we know now to be Black Lives Matter and, and the movement for Black Lives. But when I think back on that moment, on that experience, is the feeling that uh, it, it's the moment when he turned to me, a person with an ice pack on my ankle and said, nobody was hurt. And it was clear that I was hurt. Right. And so, that communicated to me was that I was nobody, that it didn't matter that this, that this man had driven into me, even enough to get a ticket, let alone anything else. And in fact, just a couple of weeks prior, I had gotten a ticket because I was out at night and there was a raccoon that dashed into the, into the road in front of a car in front of me and the car in front of me had, had hit the raccoon. And so I was driving up and, and the raccoon looked down. And so I was just gonna go right over it and it kind of twitched, it was still dying caught me off guard, I swerved, and I ran off the road. Nobody else was involved. The raccoon was already dead, even. And they gave me a ticket for failure to maintain reasonable control of the vehicle. And so I thought, wow, it's important enough for them to give me a ticket when I don't hit a raccoon. But when this man drives into me, a human, I'm not important enough for them to give him a ticket. And that was really... Um, painful for me. And, and, and what continued to be painful afterward is that then I went home and, you know, inflammation takes some time to set in. And so I thought it was only my ankle, but by the end of that night, everything was in pain. I remember carrying 
down at that moment and for months afterward, the sensation like someone had wrapped my torso in a metal band and that they were slowly heating it up and squeezing it at the same time. I was, I was fortunate enough to be a part of a community of folks. A friend of mine drove me to the emergency room the next day because by then it was very clear um, that I was hurt. And I remember sitting in the emergency room and I could not find a position in which I was not in pain. And that continued for years, for years. Every time I would sit up, I was in pain. And in those early days, I remember I went to teach my class the following Tuesday. And I remember raising my arm to, um, to write something on the board. And I started crying right there in front of my students because I was in so much pain and still pushing to try to work and still pushing to try to do something that could matter to mm-hmm. somebody. This moment when, you know, the circumstances surrounding it had suggested that at least to that police officer, at least that man that, I, that drove into me, that I didn't matter. I wanted to matter mm-hmm. to myself. I wanted to be doing something that was important. And so I, um, I experienced chronic pain um, you know, really acute, acutely in, in those first few months. And, and I tried everything. I went to massage therapy. I started getting acupuncture. I went to a physical therapist. I went to a pain management specialist. They gave me injections in my back. And none of that helped for very long. And so, so someone said to me, I think it was the massage therapist said to me, she said, you know, whenever I think of anything that happens with the spine, I think of a chiropractor, you should go to a chiropractor. I went to a chiropractor and he did an adjustment. And it was the first time that I experienced any sense of relief in months. And I thought, oh, this is the answer. This is how I'm finally gonna be out of pain. I'm just gonna come to the chiropractor until I don't hurt anymore. So I went that first time, it was good. I went the second time, it was good. The third time I went, it didn't, it didn't help. Hmm. I didn't feel differently at the end of that session than I had at the beginning. And I remember driving home. I remember exactly the intersection that I stopped at. And I thought, nothing's going to work. If this one thing that I found that makes me feel better, doesn't make me feel better anymore then I'm never gonna be out of pain again. I remember thinking, if this is what my body is now, this, this, that doesn't even feel like my body, that just feels like a vessel filled with pain, then I don't wanna be in my body anymore. I could not imagine going years and years of life feeling that way. And it was the first time in my life that I ever had the inkling, the sensation that I could understand why someone wouldn't want to live anymore. Because for me in that moment, if living meant feeling pain every single second, then I didn't want that anymore. And I remember when I had had experiences in the past when I had learned about, about suicide and, and I always thought, well, you know, there must be some moment when the person thinks, oh, but there, people love me, people care about me. If you can just remember in that moment that people love and care about you, then you'll be fine. And I remember this profound experience of thinking, there are people in the world who love me. 
and care about me and would miss me. And I didn't care. I didn't care about any of that because I was hurting so much that all I could think about was a lifetime of being in pain or an alternative to that. And that was a scary thought. And so I went to therapy. And in one of those very early sessions, she asked me, are there any moments when you're not in pain? And I said, very few. And she said, okay, but that means there are some. So when you're not in pain, how do you spend those moments? And I said, I spend them dreading the next moment when I'll be in pain. And she said, well, that's a shame because that means even when you're not in pain, you're suffering. So she said, what if you were just to play with celebrating every moment you feel okay? Instead of dreading the next moment when you won't, just sit in that moment that you're in when you're not feeling pain, celebrate every moment when you feel okay. And so I went home and I tried it and it changed my life, Francis, because what I came to realize was that I could apply that to anything. It wasn't just about this hot metal band around my middle. It wasn't just about the fact that every time I sat in any chair, in any position, for two minutes, I was in terrible, excruciating pain. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't just about that. It was about anything I experienced in my life that was difficult or painful, that I could apply this same principle of rather than anticipating the next moment when that will happen again, I can just celebrate any moment when I feel okay. So I went back for the next session and I told her about the impact that, that it had. And she was like, so how are you feeling now? And I said, well, I'm still scared. And she said, what are you scared of? And I said, I'm scared that my body will never go back to feeling the way that it did before. And she looked me square in the eye and she said, Afia, your body will probably never go back to feeling the way that it did before. Oh, and I cried. I bawled probably for five minutes sitting in her office. And she held that space for me. She just sat while I cried. And when I was done, she said, but that's true of everybody. We're all aging. None of our bodies are going to feel the way they did before. And then she said, you know, there are likely to be very few advantages to having been hit by a car. So if you ever experience any, I encourage you to take advantage of them. And so now, you know, whenever a friend says, oh, I'm moving, you know, just my, my cousin and his family just moved a couple of days ago. They said, oh, you want to come by and help us unpack boxes? And I was like, no, you know, I got a, I got a bad back. <laughs> Like, <laughs> that's my excuse now. Any moment, you know, I have chronic pain. I can't really lift any boxes. You know, I'll come and, and sit and talk and hang out with you, but I can't, you know, I can't really do that labor. But, you know, it was, it was so many beautiful lessons rolled into one. And, and at the center of it, it was about being present with a moment of celebration. It was about being present and aware when you're feeling okay. And it was about accepting that, my body wasn't likely ever to go back to feeling the way that it did before. But what was important, I think, was that 
my body was not going to continue to hurt as much as it did in that moment, you know? And that turned out to be true too. Like eight years later, eight and a half years later, I'm sitting here. It's been longer than two minutes. I'm not in terrible excruciating pain. I got a special pillow. I probably couldn't do this for two hours without hurting. You know, I spend a lot of time now on Zoom during this period of pandemic when life has gone onto screens and, and it does hurt. And in fact, the, the second time in my life ever that I had that experience, that feeling, that set of thoughts when I thought, I'm in such terrible pain right now that I can imagine why somebody wouldn't want to live. The second time, the first time that happened in the spring of 2012. And the second time that happened was in the spring of 2020. Because when the pandemic began, I lived by myself. And I, I had just started working at Princeton maybe eight months prior, brand new here, still building community and living alone in an apartment. And we shifted into this world where everybody was talking about, oh, you, you know, just stay with the people in your household, just be in your household. And my household is just me. And the moment when I realized that I didn't know when was the next time that I was going to be able to touch another human being, I slipped into a state of despair. I love loving on people through touch, <laughs> you know? I love giving hugs. I love lifting up my, my nieces. There was an indeterminate period of time when I wasn't going to be able to do any of those things again. And that was scary to me. And in the midst of all that, because life had moved on to Zoom, I was spending eight hours a day sitting in front of my computer and all that pain came back, the physical pain, in the same moment of despair when I didn't know when I was gonna to get to be in the presence of another human again. And I started to, I, you know, I, I, I slipped a bit back to that place. I felt that feeling. But the difference this time is that because I had had that experience of therapy all those years prior, I had all these tools where I could kind of pause and I could think, okay, Afia, are there any moments when you feel okay? What are you doing in those moments? Celebrate those moments. I also was able to draw on lessons that I have learned in the interim, like about gratitude, not just accepting that this is the body that I live in now, that this is the experience that I had, but in fact, finding ways to feel thankful for it. I now have a source of empathy for people in pain. When my students are suffering, when they're questioning their worth, when I encounter friends who, um, who are experiencing chronic pain for whatever reasons, when I come across people in my life who, who are in pain for different reasons all the time, I get that in a way that I didn't before and that I couldn't have if this man hadn't driven into me while I was walking across the street. And it's not just that I accept that, I feel thankful. I feel thankful for that source of empathy. I feel thankful for all the lessons that I have been able to learn since. And so in this period of, of isolation, of, of starting off by feeling very lonely and not knowing when was the next time I'd be able to connect with other people, I paused and I thought, what can I feel thankful for? And actually, um, you know, social media made it very easy because I had all these friends, these academic friends who 
you know, they're trying to write articles and do their research and teach two or three courses and, and run the nine-year-old school and take care of the three-year-old and they're doing all this stuff. Oh, wow, I don't know any of that. <laughs> I'm just here in my apartment by myself. I get to eat what I want to eat. I get to sleep when I want to sleep. I can, you know, I can take a walk when I want to take a walk. Nobody's relying on me for homeschool. If I want to take a nap in the middle of the day and I don't have any meetings at work, I can do that. <laughs> you know, I'm the only one here. And it, you know, it, was, it flipped it. I thought, oh, I'm the only one here. What does that allow me to do? And so I have found that this year has turned out to be a year of a surprising amount of creativity and productivity for me that I am, you know, I'm, I'm generating new programming at work for, for Princeton. I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book that I started writing on beauty pageants back in 2013 and I'm going to finish it next week. And so now I can be grateful. I could do something for myself. I could work on my book. I could be with my thoughts. I could gather the lessons of the year. And I could return to that really important set of lessons that I learned when I was hit by the car in 2012, which is celebrate every moment you feel okay. Our lives may never go back to being the way that they were before, but that was probably true anyway. It's just that we, as a global community are experiencing an especially acute version of that. And so then what are the opportunities, even in the midst of terrible loss and grief and pain that is not affecting everybody equally? I, I don't wanna suggest that at all. It's very different for, very, you know, for different people. And I, I sit in a lot of privilege you know, I have a lot of class privilege. I have a lot of other kinds of privilege, which mean that I get to experience this moment in that way. And so I want to take advantage of that to think about like, what are the opportunities for acceptance? What are the opportunities for gratitude? What are the opportunities even for celebration in a time that otherwise um, feels like it's, it's taken us out of ourselves? And if it's taken us out of ourselves, and who or what else do we have the opportunity to be? Wow. Well, thank you for such a thoughtful sharing of your journey. Uh, and I love the reflection of how that incident essentially didn't really change your life. It, like you said, had an acute acceleration of what was already happening to you and everyone else, which is exactly a reflection of what's going on right now. Um, our global community changes all the time, but because of COVID, we are now also experiencing an acute accelerated change as well, too. So what you went through prepared you apparently very well for what we're all going through right now. <laughs> it really did. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, we only have a, only a couple of minutes left. Do you have any last words of wisdom? Uh, for anyone out there listening, how they can also find their own sense of peace uh, in events that might have happened in their life that caused them to second guess and doubt themselves in the last minute or so we have. Yeah, so there, there one, one key thing, um, and, and this is something that I came up with actually when I was in college, before all of that happened. I call it the cycle of non-regret. 
and it's in five steps. Step one is make the best decisions that you can with the information that you have at the time. Step two is, and this is a really important one, resist the urge to judge past you on the basis of information that present you now has. Mm -hmm. Step three is love yourself, love who you are, love whom you've come to be. And step four, which is directly related to that, is to recognize that you are only you because everything that has happened in your life has happened in exactly the way and exactly the order that it did. And so if you love yourself, you can only be grateful for all of that. And then the next step is trust that, you know, out of, out of the spirit of that love, trust that future you can handle whatever decisions that present you makes. Whatever are the results or consequences of those decisions, future you can handle it. And then it cycles back around to then make the best decision you can with the information that you have. That, for instance, is how I'm able not to regret that I stepped out into the street on that day that I got hit by the car because I didn't know that was going to happen because I love myself. I love who I am. And that has had everything to do with who I can be. So the other piece of this is there are two real emotions or categories of emotion under which everything in the universe falls. There's love and there's fear. And the, the aspiration is always to make decisions and, and take actions in a spirit of love. And so when I think of the cycle of non-regret, regret is fear that's projected into the past. And so then the opposite of that is courage because courage is love that's projected into the future. And so if you can live in a place of love, if you can recognize the importance of courage, if you can have faith that future you can handle whatever current courageous you decides to do, then you can live a life without regret. And that's how I've been living for the past 20 years of my life. And I think it has everything to do with how I've been able to be who I am, do what I've done, accomplish what I've accomplished and have the impact that I've been able to have in all of the years since. Well, thank you, Thea. Uh, I love that. Unfortunately, we're completely out of time at this point, but that couldn't have been any better answer I can think of myself. Uh, I'm gonna basically preach that and share that with all of my students as well too. Again, thank you for coming on to Imagine Talks. Always wonderful to hear your stories, always wonderful to see you, always wonderful to learn from you. Thank you for sharing all of your adventures, your lessons, especially from 2020. And hopefully, I hope people will take on the visions and experiences that you shared and make a 2021 a much better year going forward for everyone. So take care. Thank you so much, Fia. I can't wait to see you the next time, okay? Always great to talk with you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this encore presentation of Afia Ofori Mensa's talk at Imagine Talks 2021. To learn more about Imagine Talks, go to www.imaginetalks.org. Edge Interns and Mental Power Hacks supports this podcast. Edge Interns sources the best interns to the best companies. Learn more at E-D-G-E, that's edgeinterns.com. Mental Power Hacks is where you'll get life hacks to boost your mental performance, productivity, and success. 
connect at mentalpowerhacks.com. Subscribe to us and get the latest episodes of Imagine Talks podcast, Achieving Success, Social Impact, and Overcoming Obstacles. See you next episode.